High Noon with George Hook. Thanks to ClaytonHotels.com with 17 hotels across Ireland and the UK. And you're very welcome back to High Noon with me, Kira Kelly. And George will be back with you next week, although you did get to hear him just there coming to us from Boston. Now, it is that time of the week when we are talking numbers and we have statistician, it's hard to say, Deirdre Cullen from the CSO in studio with us to talk about some of the numbers that the CSO have drilled down into us for us this week. Uh, Deirdre, what have you got for us? Tell us. Uh, OK, Kira. well, because you're in the hot seat this week, I thought I'd cover the, the suite of health related questions on the census. So every few weeks, the CSO has been releasing the results of the 2016 census, a couple of summary reports, and then we drill down into the figures every couple of weeks. Um, so we've three questions in the health related area. One is uh, general health, asking people how is their health in general. Another is about disabilities and how those disabilities impact on people's lives. And the third one is about people who provide on unca- paid care. So if we start at the top of that and the census has a question on it called um, or uh, phrased as how is your health in general? And as a medical practitioner, you'd know that while it would appear to be a subjective question asking people, how do you feel about your health? Uh, the results are well validated against actual measures of actual health across the population. Um, and this um, is the second time we've had this question on the census form. Uh, we lifted it directly from the Northern Ireland census. So we now have all island statistics in this area. Area. And the results tell us that um, in 2016, just under 60% of us regard our health as very good and a further 27.6% uh, of us regard our health as good. So combined 87%. That seems pretty high. 87% of us view ourselves as healthy. That's only a small, like one in six, less than one in six that think that they're not healthy. That's right. Now, of course, the results vary dramatically by age and um, um, you know, what might be a bit disappointing is it's down slightly on 2011. So it's 87%. It was 883 years previously. Does that reflect an ageing population? Yes, it would. Yes, that's right. The The demographics would come into play in that. Um, and But then we can see how it changed by age group as well over the years. So if we just drill into that, among the 0 to 19 year olds, 82.1% said their health is very good. That was 83 five years ago. So down slightly among that age group. Among those aged 20 to 39, that 20 year age group, um, 65% down from 66% five years previously. And among those aged 80 and over, and I think this is a positive outcome, 12.7% regard their health as very good. And that's up from 11.4% five years previously. So we did see a bit of a pattern where younger people were indicating very small, but still um, less less good health. And older people were indicating better health, which, you know... That's quite interesting, isn't it? Well, I, I, I mean, as a medical practitioner, maybe you'd know that that has to do with interventions and care and just really how people feel about themselves and their health and, you I, I know, still think on a subjective basis. Yeah, I still think it's a very positive uh, result, if you like, because we are living longer. And, and one of the things that we don't want is just long life. We want to live well as we get older. And, That's right. And it is hard for people who are older because a lot of them are in poor health and a lot of them are very lonely, which, which, which impacts on their health significantly too. It, it is hard to be an older person because you've lost so many of your friends and family at that point in your life. That's right. So if we look at those aged 80 and over, um, what am I looking at here? Um, uh, eight, About 8% of people would say their health is bad or very bad and the rest are in the category fair, good or very good. So but that's it's quite a small... A, yeah, so very bad health 
is a relatively small number. It's a relatively small number. For the total population, it was uh, 13,700. Uh, that was up from 12,400 five years previously. And we can see that then across the age groups, very small numbers in those aged under 20, just 640 people. Um, in the 20 to 40 year age group, uh, uh, 1300 people it, the number doubles between 40 and 60 so 4000 people so from like 1300 to, to 4000 age 40 to 60 Are you saying uh, sorry just just, no, yeah. just forgive me for being thick No no you're grand I know I run <laughs> through a lot of numbers on this show But are show, you so. saying that in the whole of Ireland the whole of Ireland now, that there's only 1300 people in very bad health between the ages of 20 and 40 That's right Yeah. It, that's, that seems remarkably good 1,300 is a small number of people and, you know, thousands, millions of us well, on the island. People are given five options. Very good, good, fair, bad and very bad. And, and so, you know, the worst category is very bad. And, and that's how people are reporting their health. Dear, do, do, do the Department of Health come to you for these figures? Oh, do, of course. Do, sure. And, and they mean, do in the HSC because 1,300 in between 20 and 40 is very low. 600 in the under 19s is ve- these are the people in bad health. Very, so, very bad. So, health. so we very have a very, health. very small cohort of people in very bad health. Oh. It strikes me that you could target that quite easily. Well, I mean, bad health, 63,000 people. So that's a lot of people in bad health if, if we want to look at it that way. And then very bad health is 14,000. So then if you add the two, you know, it's closer to 80,000, you know. Still small numbers out of out of the, the nearly five million on the island. Not well, the island, but in the south of the island. Yeah, in Ireland. In Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, of course, the Department of Health use these figures. And, you know, I always say, you know, the CSO doesn't own the census. We're just custodians of it for the people of Ireland. So for the users of the statistics, be it the Department of Education or the Department of Health. And so this would be very much their question and they would use the results. And what you can do in the census, uh, Kira, is you can cross... Um, tabulate these results by age, by social class, by level of education and then of course drill down into the geography and see, you know, is it remote areas in the west of Ireland or in the inner cities? Because the geography would be very important in terms of targeting people, wouldn't it, to actually provide the services needed by them? Of course. And, you know, where we produce other statistics. I've talked to George about them, about elderly people living alone and I'm, I've other numbers here in front of me if we get onto them today about people with disability, etc. But if we look at it just by social class and the there's seven social classes. So the highest social class would be professional workers, then managerial, technical, then non-manual. So that would be your office worker, skill manual, etc. Among the professional workers. So if you remember on for the country overall, 59% of us say our health is very good. Among professional workers, 75% say their health is very good. And among those who are unskilled, that's only 44%. So the gap by social class is enormous. Okay, so where the people in the lower social classes are experiencing less good health. So what we're saying is, and I think we know this, and to put it bluntly, being poor makes you sick. Well, the, the, this is what's certainly being recorded on the census that people in the lower social classes have less good health. Yeah, well, no, we, 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 do, we see that. We, we see that all the time. Talk to me a little bit about disability because disability, this is self-reported disability as well. This is people saying, yes, I can't work for a variety of reasons or, or, or my health is bad. Are the figures around disability different to the ones around ill health? So if we the question says, do you have any of the following long lasting conditions or difficulties? And then we run through a range of conditions, blind, deaf, 
um, basic physical activities, intellectual, psychological, etc. And then there's a second part of the question. If you've answered yes to one of those, how does your disability impact on your life or do you have difficulties doing tasks such as dressing yourself, going outside the home, etc. And um, to report these results, what we do is we say if people answer yes to any part of the entire question, then we, we say, well, you've indicated you're disabled. And the figures in 2016 were 643,000 people indicated that they had a disability. Now, you wouldn't always see people with a disability saying then that their health was necessarily bad or very bad or even, you know, in the middle category fair because people can have a disability and still feel very healthy, so as, you, as you would know. You could be deaf, for example, and so you'd come... And feel your health is very good. And you could be doing all sorts of things and, and being great. Yes. OK, so that's so, why it's so much higher, the level of disability, than ill health. That's right. So uh, 643,000, up by 48,000 on five years previously. And again, the numbers by age are quite striking. So among the 0 to 14 year olds, we have 59,000 people have a disability and that's up from 53,000 five years ago. Uh, among the 15 to 24-year-olds, 53,000, up from 44,000. And now, of course, the population is growing. So you could ask yourself, are they just up because the population is up? No, the percentage of people with a disability among those aged 0 to 14 has gone up from 5.4% to 5.9%. And we saw increases in disability in all those age cohorts up to uh, 34. And then in the higher age cohorts, we saw very slight falls in the percentage of people who were disabled. So among those aged... Is that a reflection, and that's a hard question, is that a reflection of the fact that people with disabilities die younger? No, but the numbers have fallen over the five years. So the number of people who are disabled, so... But, but is that to do with death? I, I, I can't You don't know, that. okay, sorry, I mean, forgive we, me. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't drill into it at that level. Um, but I mean, if if we look at the older age group, um, so in 2016, 70%, of, of people aged 85 and over have a disability of one level or, or another. Now, remember, one of the category, categories is a difficulty with basic physical activities such as walking, climbing stairs. So a lot of people aged 85 are going to fall into that For category. Sure. But maybe the good news is that 30% of people aged over 85 have no disabilities. So I always try to look on the positive well, side I, that of is these the good statistics. News because, because, you know, I, I sound like George Hook now. I don't want to be eating cold rice pudding and all that usual stuff. Because I'm, <laughs> but the I reality, don't blame him. <laughs> but the reality is people want, if you're going to live long, I don't think many people relish the thought of living long and being, you know, compass, not mentis in a nursing home and, and immobile and all that. People want to live longer so they can continue to do stuff and go places and interact and have a life. So so, yeah. so in older people in particular, a fall in disability is a very big positive, isn't it? It's, it's a very big positive. And, you know, we tend to focus on the yes parts of these questions. And sometimes it's the people who... The no parts. Yeah. And you could focus in on that. And I know the, the convention on the on the uh, the Citizens Assembly, sorry, is looking at, at healthy ageing at the yeah. moment and um, what they're looking at is the challenges and opportunities of an ageing society and of course there's a lot of opportunities there for an ageing society and, and Trinity it, is doing that that ongoing study too of course uh, every uh, the Tilda study, the Tilda that's study right, that, that, yeah. they, that, that they are looking at how to improve people throughout the course of their lives so that ageing becomes a positive thing and they, they throw very interesting sort of details all the time Talk to me a little bit about unpaid carers because in my humble opinion on 
paid carers are the backbone of this uh, society. We have so many volunteer carers, volunteers in all aspects of, of Irish society that the society would, would near collapse if the state had to step in and, and prop them up in some no, you know, meaningful way. Absolutely. And again, this is a question that belongs to the carers. We work with the carers organisation and the question is, do you provide regular unpaid personal help for a friend or family member with a long term illness, health problem or disability? And if you're in receipt of carers allowance, you could answer this question. So it didn't include the paid carers, you know, the commercial services. And so the results told us 195,000 unpaid carers in Ireland. And that was up from five years ago when there was 187,000. Now, the carers organisations work very hard to get people to answer this question correctly because they feel the figures are still underreported, even though they do. And we work with them very closely and we put up posters and we do a publicity campaign to encourage people to answer the question. So that's that's the figure that came out of 2016. But but they are in receipt of the carer's allowance. They can be to answer that question. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. But but not, you know, the the services you hear advertised on the radio. Yes. They're not bluebird care or home home instead. No, no, they're unpaid carers. So 195,000. Can I ask you, and and this may be slightly unfair because you may not have these figures, but do we know how many people are in receipt of the carer's allowance? I don't have those figures. They're not part of this and we don't ask that on the census. So of the 195,000, 118,000 women and 77,000 men. So that won't be that surprising that more women are yeah, engaged sure. in, in care. We know care it tends to fall to, to the women. And then the peak age for, for having to care for somebody is between 45 and uh, 55. So 34,000 of the 118,000 fall into those middle years when your parents are elderly. That, and that, that's what that's reflecting, isn't it? Absolutely. O- older parents. I know, I know, you know, I, I fall into that bracket and, and it is that that you know, your parents have aged and become more dependent and all that kind of stuff. It's a tough time because if you look at that age group too, you're very likely to have children still, many of whom will be in their teens or in school or all that kind of stuff. So it really is the sandwich generation. I think so, especially as as um, birth has been delayed for people and the peak age for a first child now is 31. So yes, I mean, you're, you're into your late 40s and you're still getting the kids through college and then mum and dad need your help as well. I see an awful lot of people in that in that very, very boat. Um, with, with regard to on unpaid care is there any knowledge around whether or not it is generally a family situation you know are, are we relying still on, on the, the, the nuclear family that the, that the daughters are looking after the parents or what ha- obviously their sons looking after parents too but but you know is that what we're seeing out there just this kind of continuation of what would have always been the way that mammy looks after the kids but you know sons and daughters look after the ageing parents it's, it's still a familial bond So what I'm giving you here today are the headline figures and I have some figures broken down by age and the numbers of hours uh, that are provided in care. And later in the year, we'll drill into this further and we'll be able to see. Now, there could be a disabled person in the house and there could be somebody in the house providing unpaid care. And you could draw the conclusion that they're caring for that disabled person without knowing it for certain because we don't ask that. But we will certainly drill into the figures further and provide that kind of level of analysis, certainly for the carers organisations to say, well, people are providing unpaid care and there's somebody in the house who would appear to need well, care. You, you mentioned hours there. What kind of hours are they doing? So let's have a look. So 195,000 people providing uh, unpaid care. Um, 84,000 of those are providing between one and 14 hours a week. So two hours a day. Another 31,000 between 15 and 28 hours. And if I jump up to 168 hours a week, I think that's 24-7. 17,000 people are providing care all day, every day. 
it's, uh, a, it's a tough old road and in, in, to my knowledge the carer's allowance is a couple of hundred quid I mean it's it's not market rates for that, that work not certainly when you're up in those hours, Kira. No. no, no, no. And uh, like those other people like providing a, a lot of hours between 85 and 167 hours, there's another 9,000 people and over 44 hours a week, there's another 15,000 people. So a lot of people are providing high numbers. OK, listen, my, my, my thanks, of course, there to, to Deirdre uh, from the CSO, Deirdre Cullen. Fascinating, as always, and uh, reflecting a lot of people doing a lot of hard work for their families for very little money. That's all we have time for, I'm afraid, today. Uh, for the winner of the fantastic Clayton Hotels break, it is Seamus Flynn from Hazelwood in Sligo, who, of course, was correct. Cork is indeed on the River Lee. Uh, my thanks to the team today on Sound, Michael Quilligan, my producers, Alex Russo, Ronan Coveney, and, uh, of course, Maggie Doyle in the box and editor Mark Simpson. Coming up next is Sean Moncrief. Ivan Yates will be in the chair tomorrow for George and George will be back with you next week. Have a great afternoon from Kira Kelly.